You are listening to Grit and Grace, where I'm sharing my entrepreneurial journey with you and bringing stories to you of the most amazing women that are crushing it in business and in life. My name is Tomberly, and I'm a social impact entrepreneur, where I help businesses grow their community impact and their bottom line through their partnerships with nonprofit organizations. I'm also the founder of Tomberly's Tribe, a brand new group of female experts that, from all different fields, are helping women grow to their highest level of potential. Join us on this journey by downloading the Himalaya app, which is free, and follow us so we can keep you up to date on all of the new shows that are coming out. Welcome to my show. Are you struggling to keep your teams connected and support increased productivity? I've got the answer for you, and her name is Julie Holunga. Julie is an Emergenetics Master Trainer and will help walk you and your team through the assessments and how they play a role in your overall success. Go to juliehalunga.com for all the details. Okay, my friends, welcome back to another episode of Grit and Grace, and I'm really excited to have Summer Nettles with us today. She is an Emmy Award-winning videographer, a certified conflict resolution facilitator, and adjunct professor of communications. She decided to leave television after defeating non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2014, and that right there just holds a piece of my heart for her to know the journey that she's gone through to get here today. And not only that, but she has continued to work with local and state government agencies on everything from documentary films highlighting the disparities present in Denver's communities of color to developing strategic communications communication plans for social media outreach. She currently serves as the CEO of her own company, which is a great whoop whoop from me. <laughs> um, and it's called Greater Purpose Media. And Summer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. There's two things in there that I, I felt um, so connected to for you. Um, I Although I haven't survived a massive amount of cancer, I have undergone 12 major surgeries. And so I know what it's like to have our bodies go through massive recovery. And so I you know, I, I I look at you and I look at what you're doing now and the survival instinct in you is strong woman. Thank you. Yeah, you too. You too. 12 surgeries is not, not a joke. No, yeah. I have half the organs I was born with and I'm actually healthier than I've ever been. So it's amazing what we can do through nutrition and exercise and also positive mindset, right? That that's my body lives through my spirit. And when my spirit is good, my body is good. I try to tell people this on a regular basis. It matters a lot. It matters so much. It matters so much. Like I've taken off 70 pounds. Um, wow. and it's like, uh, since like November and it wow. is night and day. Like I didn't realize for every like five pounds, extra you're carrying it's 90 pounds of pressure on your knees like some or some really statistic it's real crazy yeah crazy it's a lot and so yeah just um maintaining maintaining your health is so key to life and confidence you know so totally i agree with you Mm mm-hmm well, and on top of that, the amount of work that you do to really facilitate dialogue and communications and conflict resolution is such an important topic for us to discuss right now because our world, at least in North America, although the ripple effects are across the globe, but in the United States, we are in the middle of what I call and many call a revolution. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I wanted to invite you on 
to have this conversation because, you know, as as we spoke earlier, you know, I, I you'll see I'm, I still hesitate. I still hold my words. And so if I pause for a minute, you know, I'm still choosing my words carefully mm-hmm. if, if, if I pause. Um, I wanted you to come on because I know the majority of my listeners are white like myself and I am on a deep journey of learning. Yes. And even though if I, whatever I haven't been doing um, on social media does not does not mean I'm not doing the work myself. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's about where you, I mean, it's about where your work matters the most, where you can make mm-hmm. the most impact. You know, um, for me, since I work in the realm of videography, photography, and social media management, and I was an on-air radio personality for 10 years before I decided to go into news, and then I went into news and then I got the cancer, came out of news and started working for government agencies. And I was like, you guys are wonderful. You do so much for your communities. You have no idea how to do outreach. And um, you're kind of stuck in a singular way of thinking um, that really precludes you from using the vast array of tools available in the social media space. Um, and you don't know how to talk to people. You're used to being very punitive in your language. Um, municipal language is very like legalese, you know, and also very dry and people are tired of being talked at. They're ready to be talked to and talked with and included. Um, and I find that government agencies, especially with like older administrators, um, are very uh, kind of rigid and stuck in their ways. They want to like dictate, like don't look behind the curtain. Like, yo, like we all saw Parks and Rec. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and are there still, I, I guess I already know the answer to this question. I'm going to ask a question that I know the answer to, which is funny, but are there still racial disparities in municipal governments in terms of, I mean, everything you're saying, you're shaking your head. Yes. I already, I already knew that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so then my question is, like, how do we, just even talking at the municipal level, because I, I truly believe that change, it does start with us first and understanding, and, and you know, this is what I'm going to use this platform for moving forward. Absolutely. And yet, I am also going to do the work on how I can support legislation change, because I know that that really is a key to long-term sustainable change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. And to your first question, uh, is there a systemic racism present Uh, at the municipal level? Of course. Mm. Of course there is. Mm -hmm. And so often we miss it. And it's interesting because we don't, um, you know, like Amy Cooper is a prime example. No, she's not in municipal government, right? But she's like a VP for like a financial institution, like a VP, like a vice president, right? So we have people who are taking classes and getting certificates and thinking like they're going to get a gold star in anti-racism today, you know, and then weaponizing what they've learned to use it against people of color, right? Which is exactly what she did. We're talking about someone who um, has has donated to the Obama campaign, is a registered Democrat. There's a lot of people who um, misconstrue the term liberalism for the term anti-racist, and that's not the case. You know what I mean? Just because you've taken all the classes doesn't mean that you're putting that stuff into practice. In fact, more often than not, you're kind of required not to put it into practice as a condition of keeping your job. Because if you speak up, 
you're going to be penalized. You know, um, most of these organizations really, uh, <laughs> they institute um, diversity and inclusion programs. I mean, the Harvard Business Review says that those in, those programs actually do exactly the opposite of, of what they're intended to do. They do not encourage diversity and inclusion. Why? Why is that? How? I mean, how is how is the training that's available to companies failing? Well, I think what ends up happening is is that training isn't intrinsic to who you are. A eh? um, so you're you're already coming at it from like a, I don't need to incorporate this into myself into my being I'm fine it's everyone else out there right mm-hmm. um, we tend to get really defensive uh, and one of the things I, I was just pu- published in cultures magazine um, with a list of 10 things that people of color need you to do in terms of getting this work done and one of the things is don't be defensive if someone tells you that you're racist or that you've been doing something that's racist. The fact is, is that if someone had the courage to come to you and say you're racist, that means that they trust you enough to do the work to stop being racist. Hmm. Right. So like they, and that it took, nobody wants anyone to be racist, right? It's not like we, any person of color wakes up in the morning and says, I get to tell somebody they're racist today. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? They don't. <laughs> they don't. Nobody feels that way. You know what I mean? Or sexist or homophobic, you know? Um, but it takes an incredible amount of courage to come forward and say, I think this, but I also believe in you enough to know that it, you need to take on the work, right? And so um, people get, instead of instead of hot toast where the butter melts right in, they're cold bread, right? And you tell a person something that's very intense and intimate and you end up like cold bread and, and butter ripping up the, the bread, right? Ripping up the relationship. Mm. Allow yourself to be hot toast. Okay, Houston, we have a problem, right? And how can I honestly internalize the the problem and that I'm a part of it so that I can fix it. Right. But what we do is, is we literally put like butter and jam on cold bread when we start doing diversity and inclusion programs, because we're afraid to do the work on ourselves, you know? Well, and is it, isn't that even just a part of owning it, like actually doing the work, which is you and I have talked. So you, you know how I feel about that. It's important, but doing the work is hard. This is why people don't want to do it. This is especially why white people don't want to do the work is because our, like our country was built on slavery. Our country was built on oppression. And for me to do the work means I have to stand by and say that I benefit from a system that was built to not benefit you. And that people don't like to say that. And I say it and I I say it and my stomach gets upset and it should. Well, and I think it's an amazing thing that you say it. Also, people have a hard time believing it because they don't understand the numbers, right? So like black women make between 47 cents and 67 cents for every dollar that a white man makes, right? Mm. The reality is, is 47 cents to every 67 cents translates to two years of childcare. Like, let's put it, let's put it, let's make it real, right? It's 156 meals a year, 156 meals of food on the table, right? Like, like this, that that's 67 cents, 47 to 67 cents for every dollar is a huge, it's two and a half years of college tuition, 
right? Like that, that money matters and, and realistic experience for my own, for my own working. Um, the last place I worked, I had the same title and more experience than my white male counterpart and made $12,000 less a year, Hmm. you know, and, and the justification for that was he's been working here longer. Well, if you hired someone into a director position and they were brand new to the organization, would you not pay them six figures because they'd Mm -hmm. been working there? Not as long. Row, row, raggy. The answer is no, you would pay them what they were worth, you know? And so that's, I mean, that's a really important thing to distinguish when we talk about it. Like um, another big thing is weathering, right? And this is why it's just so important for us to be able to have candid conversations Mm -hmm. is because women of color and people of color start tolerating racism at a very young age in order to make it through life. And that tolerating phenomenon is called weathering um, as classified by, um, University of Michigan researcher Arlene, I, her last name is like Geronimo. It's real complicated, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So when you are internalizing racism constantly, you know it's like it's like anything else. Um, I'm sure I don't know what your advice is for me. Like if I'm really stressed, I eat. You know, mm. um, and until I exercise more, do you, now I exercise yeah. more, and, yeah. but until I learned how to, until I learned how to manage that, I would eat. Right. And I would eat until I was like asleep. Cause you like literally your body's at a place where you can't process food anymore. Right. Well, this is happening in like the black community. Stress management is happening in all kinds of ways, which is, you know, what we always talk about the health impacts. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think about that. And so to go back to that topic is why is diversity and inclusion training not working in companies? And I think in some cases, well, no, actually in all cases, the leadership of the organization or the company needs to really do the work first. Like it has to start there. I like it. You got excited like I did. My hands are up. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Popped up. And, and right. And that's why this, that's why a podcast like mine is, is good to have these conversations because I know that we're talking to a lot of female leaders of their company, a lot of female entrepreneurs, a lot of people who aren't necessarily sure what that means, it just means that you have to start to do the work and and understand it yourself before you're going to know why you're doing the actual work to make change. Yeah. I mean, honestly, accept that time that you did that thing because you did do that thing, right? Like, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that you're now the CEO and it doesn't matter that you now are in the C-suite or that you're now the director of the company. You did that thing. In fifth grade, you asked somebody... You told you told a young woman of color that like her hair was so thick it reminded you of your dog. That was mm-hmm. racist, right? You didn't know it was racist. It doesn't change the fact that it was. You know, you might have said, "I use what kind of what kind of brush is that? That looks like the kind of brush I look on my I use on my dog." I mean, these are experiences I already I actually had as a child, right? Like. Um, being called the N-word when I was four by a girl who was 12, right? I don't know where that young woman is now, but that was racist. And it doesn't matter if she's in the C-suite or not, what she did was wrong. You know, inviting your black friend over to your house and never going to their house. Why didn't you ever go to their house? Why? It wasn't that they weren't in a good neighborhood. Sometimes it was because your parents wouldn't let you go because they're racist, 
right? And what did what kind of outcomes did that have on you psychologically? You know what I mean? Um, one of the best examples I have of this actually is one of my best friends, Jeff, is a white male, blonde hair, blue eyed, just amazing guy. And my high school was 70% people of color. Like, and by people of color, I mean like everybody, like the, the spectrum, black, Latino, uh, Southeast Asian. Uh, and Jeff you told me once that like, Every day I walked into school, I became the minority. And every time I walked out, I became the majority again. And he was like, I, mm. and I understand exactly now what it feels like to be able to leave a place and not have to, not have to be the minority. But for you guys, the majority of your life was spent being the minority versus eight hours of mine. You know, also understanding what that feels like, right? Because it's a lot of pressure to put on your one black employee or your one Latino employee or your one Asian employee um, to represent the entire culture, mm. you know, or to go to them and say, this is the worst thing to do. Do you think I'm racist? Oh my. You know, that's quite a bit of pressure. This is your employee, right? And we've already talked about how defensive people get. Mm-hmm. So don't, don't act like you're not going to hold that. Uh, ace of spades in your back pocket for the rest of the time that person works there if they say yes and yes the answer is yes (laughs) they do they have thought you know because you're not doing the work it's it's like almost 100 percent that you've said something that's real crazy yeah i I think i mean there's, there's so many of us that didn't understand the difference between saying that i'm not racist to saying i stand for anti-racism like there is a there is like i i i myself my life has changed i love it i love it mm-hmm. my life has changed with that statement because i would have i would have told you before this conversation or before we were in the middle of this revolution that i am not racist i would have said that but now there's so many little things that i know that i've done that are um that are probably racist or appearing, even though they're not meant to be, but that's a big difference than being anti-racist because that means I'm willing to be called out on it. I'm willing to have the conversation and trust me, I'm calling my friends out on it right now. Like the last time somebody said to me, Oh, I don't see color. I don't even know what the, I mean, I, I go to the grocery store. I see people all the time. I don't, I don't see color. And I'm like, that's your white privilege, honey. That is privilege. And I'm, I'm telling you, she didn't like it that I said that, but I, I said it lovingly and, yeah. and then had the conversation with her. That's amazing. And that's yeah. so good. I mean, and I can't even, the problem with, um, and like being 41, being like a child of the nineties and the eighties, you know, mm-hmm. I remember when Janet Jackson came out with R- rhythm nation and was like, you know, be colorblind, you know, um, and Envo free your mind. Also, they said, be colorblind. Don't be so shallow. You know, it was mm-hmm. a big movement. Unfortunately, we didn't have the hindsight we have now then, right. Which is a lot of like, mm-hmm. even in terms of, <laughs> okay, let, I'm gonna get real edgy. Even in terms of like Joe Biden, right. Like mm-hmm. we didn't have, we did not know then what we know now. And the point is, is are you willing to, your point uh, is, is are you willing to grow from what you have recently acquired? You know, are you willing to take it out of the context that you were comfortable with in order to get to a place where we can all grow? You know what I mean? And so, yeah, so assimilation and being colorblind and asking me, or saying that you don't see my color is also denying like the fact that I uh, grew up, you know, eating greens, 
you know, eating ham hocks, you know, making, I didn't have pumpkin pie until I got to like college. I had sweet potato pie. Like these are all experiences that are different and beautiful, right? Like, yeah, like different and beautiful. And like, let's celebrate that instead Mm -hmm. of just walking in blindly charging ahead and saying whatever you're going to say, you know? So, yeah. I like that. And I appreciate you being willing to talk about this like it, like we are, because um, not only is it, do I feel the responsibility to lend this platform? I also feel the responsibility to ask questions that some people won't ask. I can dig it. Because, yeah, you know, because I, I have these questions. So here's, here's one for you. Okay. How do you, how do you suggest that someone that is white that has, relationships with people of color and you're not sure if you have always um, behaved or acted in a way that is anti-racist. So you want to like, you want to have the conversation. You want to ask your friends like, Hey, have I ever been, have I ever said or done anything that's racist? Like, is that an okay question to ask? Because this is something I'm hearing a lot in my friend groups is that they want to have conversations with people of color and ask that question, but it feels charged to them. It is charged. So what is your, yeah. So what is your, in a, in a friend situation, what is your suggestion from like a woman to a woman perspective? I would say don't start trying to assess your level of wokeness for lack of a better term, Lord Jesus. But um by <laughs> by asking your friends, start by doing the work. So um right now Netflix, Amazon Prime, um, there are just so many outlets out there. Um so many podcasts like your own. Oh yeah. So many podcasts and, and so many, yeah. there's books. There's and so books. much. If you want the information, you will find it. And, yeah. And like audiobooks and stuff like that. Like the anti-racism um, book that I'm actually going to start reading as well. Um, Harvard or Yale, excuse me, has a, has a free class right now. That's 13 weeks on the civil rights era. Um, one of the movies that I really like uh, that I think does a wonderful job of like, unpacking things is American Sun on Netflix. It's hard to watch, but like once you, cause it's all in one room, but that once you watch it, you're like, Oh my gosh, that's insane. You know, um, the 13th mm-hmm. about our, 13th. Yeah. yeah. It's good. It's very good. There's a podcast that I really liked, um, which was called seeing white. Ooh. And I really, I really liked the perspective um, because it was a white guy that is talking about history, but then he has people of color come in and check him and like fact check him and discuss it from their point of view on his interpretation of it. So it's like an interpretation of an interpretation and the history and the facts. And I, f- I found myself often going, oh, Oh, I would have asked that question too. So it was, it's good. Yeah. It's very, it's a very, very, I think that's, that that's great. I like that a lot. Um, yeah. I, so you're saying do your, do your work before you apo- approach your friends. Exactly. Do Don't put them in a position where they have to, you know, dress you down or what have you. And then also like, um, cause they don't want to do that. You know, like they, they want, if you do the work, if you watch like some uncomfortable movie, if you read an uncomfortable book, if you, um, if you listen, the 1619 podcast is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The New York times, uh, 1619 podcast. Oh my gosh. Well, it will break your heart. And it's amazing. I would really definitely tell everyone to listen to it. Cause it's so key to life to understanding how, um, 
our economy was essentially built on black bodies. Like people think that the price of the dollar was determined by gold. It wasn't, it was determined by the, the price of a slave. That's how we got our economy, you know? And like uh, this 1619 podcast really breaks all that history down. Um, I think that that's so powerful. So even if you, um, even if you approach it that way, and then perhaps you have uh, a friend who's of color, whether they be black or Latino, who might want to start like a book club, you know, or a, or a listening group where you guys listen to this stuff and then unpack it, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is also a great way. And, and also to your point, just like, listen, so many times you cannot, you have to be a glass that's half empty. And by that, I mean, there has to be room in the glass to add water to it. If you always come to your friends about this or any subject matter as a full glass, any added information that they try and give is just going to spill over. Mm. You're not going to receive it, right? Pour out a little bit of all that defensiveness um, and all that hurt and all that um probably unpleasant surprise pour all that out before you get to the conversation and get yourself to a place where you're ready to receive yeah that's good advice thank you that's really good advice yeah yeah it's good um i because i think that these these questions have left so many people feeling vulnerable to not know what and how to proceed so you and i we're here we're going to dispel as much as we can in this short period of time mm-hmm. give you some tools mm-hmm. To, ad- to address it in a way that is non-offensive. Um, it's funny because we just keep coming back to point number one. In all scenarios, do the work. Learn what you don't know. Do the work. And then it, to your point. And the truth is, is that we don't, we don't know. Like I, I think the other part of this that maybe you haven't explored as much as I have is understanding what white privilege means, right? Because I, I don't know. I didn't know what white privilege meant. And I'll tell you a, a funny story. I... I released a podcast a week ago, a week and a half ago. It was, I think it was called like My Voice, My Lens, My Voice. Mm -hmm. And it was my raw rant after learning what I didn't know. And you met me in that stage when I was really raw. And I recorded 25 minutes of I cried and I, I shared my feelings. And I, before that, spoke to a friend of mine who said to me, that my ability to turn off my podcast for a week out of my niceness to respect our country's feelings is an example of my white privilege to be able to turn it off if it gets too hard. Mm. That was that was like a big first taste of my white privilege is, yeah, this is really freaking hard. So I'm just not going to do it this week because I don't, I'm not going to talk about it because it's too hard right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was my first taste of what white privilege felt like. It's interesting that you say that because I had an employer say to me one day, uh, well, can't we discuss, can't we leave race out of it? Mm. And I was like, ooh, interesting. I did try to wake up white this morning. I was unable to do that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Did you say that? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, really? Did you say that? I mean, that would be allowed now. Yeah. Before now, maybe not. No, I definitely did say it. Well, I said, do you think I can stop being black and Puerto Rican? Like, do you think I can stop? Because I'm not, Mm. I am not capable of of not being a black Puerto Rican. Like, so yeah. So you can leave grace out of it whenever you want. But I can't. I can never. Race is always a factor. And it, and I was like, is gender always a factor for you? 
do you always be this gender? Okay, well then, you know, like if something happens, are you able to look outside of outside of the incident as though your gender is not a part of it? It is. It always is. It is always a factor, you know. Now, how big a factor it is might change, you know, but especially when we talk about you know, hiring practices and the benefits of affirmative action. Well, the largest benefactors of affirmative action are white women, right? Why? Because white women are women, thus they are a protected class, but they're also not another. So they're the same. So they, you know, get hired into higher positions more frequently. They get paid higher wages. Uh, they get promoted more frequently, right? Because you are, in fact, doing what affirmative action has tasked you right. to do. We, we, you can check a box with a white woman. You get to check the box. Exactly. But not too big of a box. Not you just get to check the box. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, so it's an interesting uh, dynamic and you're right. You can never, you can never leave it. So. Mm. And now a short message from our sponsors. Julie Halunga is one of 30 Emergenetics master trainers in the world. The Emergenetics Assessment is a powerful tool which not only simplifies human connection, but also allows individuals and teams to be more productive, innovative, and engaged. During our new abnormal times, it cultivates connection with remote and dispersed teams by providing practical ways for employees to learn to work together and support strong workplace culture with or without traditional office space. And not only is Julie a master trainer, but she is a leader in her communities and is truly a game changer. Now let's get back to the show. So my question for you is, I think about this and I look at our country has never not been living with oppression. And I I grapple with this a lot because I'm an esoteric thinker like that. So I try to imagine what I want it to be. And I will develop rituals and practices in my spirituality around what do I imagine it to be? And this is what I'm going to put my intentions in because I believe if enough of us are consciously awakened and are doing the work to see things differently, that's where you start to see change. And and I'm sure that you're aware of this as well, but this planet is shifting into a conscious awakening. And, and it started, it started, I don't know, a while ago, a year ago, a year, two years ago, mm-hmm. we've been in this massive awakening. So the more of us that can picture what we want it to be like, the more it's actually going to be possible. Because one thing I know is that we cannot be something that we cannot see. Woo. And so we have to start, right? Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Right. In my mind, I have to be able to see not just the United States, but our world being able to live without these issues. And between now and then, what are we going to do? I think you have to start. I love the fact that that we're talking about doing the work. A, like do the work, like learn the history, learn the current uh, situation. Right. Um, And just to like backtrack a little bit. If you do the work and then you want to approach your friend and say, you know what, would you mind having a conversation with me about the 13th? Did you see it? You know, maybe not, don't presume that they saw it. Just be like, did you see the 13th? You know, and then say, I want to really unpack this because there are some things I was not aware of and I'm trying to do some work. I'm trying to better myself um, and 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 be a real contributor to the work and be a, like honestly an anti-racist. And you can say that word, you know? So what 
I just don't want to, I don't think I should be the one to drive that conversation though. I want to make sure that I have it with the lens of someone who's experienced this. And if you would share that lens with me via a conversation about this movie, that'd be amazing, you know, or, um, anything that's like, or 1619 or, you know, things like that, you know, and if you're a CEO, um, if you're at the top, you know, um, yeah, the bluest eye is a wonderful book to read. Um, like I said, sixteen nineteen. If you have like a corporate book club, asking if people are comfortable with reading something like that might be an interesting, you know, thing to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and then unpacking that mm-hmm. together. So back to doing the work, and then as far as the vision for the next step, um, it's interesting that you say this because like this Saturday in Denver, I think it's a Saturday we're meeting. Uh, there's a big meeting host being hosted uh, to talk about the vision. And I'm also working on something called the blacklist, um, which is like a list of things that black people um, really do see uh, that will advance this country. And I think it's pertinent at this point, just to say that like black Americans, black and indigenous Americans are the most marginalized in our country's history. So You'll see with like social security, with Medicare and Medicaid, with, um, gosh, with civil rights, with, uh, desegregation of education. None of these things happened until black people got those rights, right? So from the least came the many, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, Mexicano people, if my history is correct, got the right for themselves to desegregate in schools in like 1954 Brown versus the board of education. Wasn't until 1964, at which point when black kids got to desegregate, all kids got to desegregate. Right. So one of the reasons Mm. why fundamentally black Americans are so important is because nothing is equal until we are equal, you know, and it's it's a, yes. it's a really you know welcome to the rungs on the ladder kind of thing right. you know right so that's and even people who are like convinced confused about like all lives matter versus black lives matter well no lives can matter all lives can't matter until black lives matter right, right? so since black lives don't matter you can't consider you can't continue to say all lives matter because we know statistically right if if black babies are dying at three times the rate of their white infant counterparts, and they're two times as likely to be born below birth weight because their mothers are carrying the stress of constant racial pressure and discrimination, then their lives don't matter from, from infancy. Right? So we have to, we have to establish that like the buck stops at black lives and black lives must matter so that all lives can matter. Right. You know? So, yeah. yeah. So in terms of vision, (laughs) I'm sorry, I had to go back. No, keep going. So we can go forward. Um, One of the things I always talk about because of my experience in administration and um, governance is we have a lot of internal uh, racism and oppression and discrimination that happens in agencies whose job it is to monitor racism and oppression. So you have like a state agency, like a department of regulatory affairs or a EEOC. Their job is to monitor that this is happening, but they're not required 
to disclose any results on discrimination investigations to the public. Right? So, like, all those investigations, all those complaints of racism are never disclosed, which is is a double threat. A, it prevents people applying for those jobs from avoiding those employers, right? Because, like, yo, like, you want the best candidates for a job, you should be offering me the best working environment. And if there are a ton of discrimination complaints, just like there are for police who need to get fired, then no, I don't want to come work for you. But B, it prevents us from seeing whether or not there is um, a pattern of dismissive behavior, on the part of the state regulatory agency, right? Um, and that's really, really important because if they're consistently just dismissing complaints, we might have an internal issue, right? And also HR departments at the local level know that they are not going to have any kind of culpability. So why would they care about what they do? There's no accountability. Zero. Zero zero accountability unless you actually file a lawsuit you know and even then now now that's paid right but like taxpayer dollars fund regulatory agencies so they should be regulating you know that's like one of my biggest things um the other thing is is that like you look at elections like georgia and um we're very very big on and this is why regulatory agencies are so important we're really big on like voting out elected officials Well, you can vote out an elected official, right? The elected official, uh, one of the examples I just used recently is like, the elected official let the town put up signs as recently as 1980 in public spaces that say like whites only. As recently as 1980 in Mississippi, totally. So that elected official we recognize is racist. But the administrator who printed the signs who who used the budget money to get the science is also racist. But guess what the administrator does? They retire from their position with a pension because they're not an elected, right? So we have to be very, very conscious of these external regulatory agencies. I think that's one of, one of the things I'm most passionate about, you know? And then if your friend says to you and they're a work acquaintance or co-worker says that they feel like they're discriminated against that never ask them do you really think it's racist like (laughs) yes yes i really think it's racist yes yes i know actually it was racist yes 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 like if that like no it's just not it's not a made-up thing it's a real thing that's happening just like start by believing that whole campaign like do you really think it's sexist do you really think that's like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it was real. Like he's sending me pictures of cats. Mm-hmm. What is he saying with these pictures of cats? Right. Right. Yeah. It's sexist. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like they didn't review my application. None of the people are more qualified than me. In fact, some of them are less. Yes. It's racist. Right. Mm-hmm. That's really important work to be done. Is that what you're focusing on is to look at how you can get involved at the regulatory level. And I have to believe that if we can put plans in place to regulate our supply chains from the United States to other parts of the world, to make sure that what we're doing in the United States is not contributing to terrorists, 
if because I have done a lot of compliance work, mm. a lot of compliance. Amazing. Work. I will tell you what you have to do to do work internationally is like so much red tape to make sure that you're not supporting anybody that has ever supported anybody that has supported anybody else, like five layers deep to make sure that there's no terrorist ties. How can we not have regulation agencies in the United States doing the same thing here? Amen. Absolutely. And that even goes back to the police, right? Like, um, because we are, we're looking at the police as like, fraternal order of police, like various, various unions. But the thing is, is that like only large departments are in unions, small departments report to their local HR, you know, report to the HR for the city. If you live in a suburb. So if you're, if the regulatory agencies outside are not looking inside, then anything that happens to those officers is going to be a problem. Not only that, but that one HR person who's handling both police and internal staff, you know, whether they be sheriffs or, well, sheriffs, no, that's not it. But that regular, that HR person, if they're just dismissing internal staff complaints, they're also dismissing officer complaints, you know? And one of the things that is so dangerous um, in terms of policing is that we don't protect our officers who are who are calling out other officers for their poor right. behavior, right? right? So then you have a state agency that's supposed to regulate that. They're not. So you know what I mean? So it just, it it's the root. It's the root. Right now we're all talking about the leaves of a tree, but we have to get to the root of the problem. Yeah. And how do we do that? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, right. yeah, that state work is key. <laughs> And for those of you that are still with us, sorry, we had a little technical glitch, but we are still here and we're on it and we are on it. And sometimes it goes really good. And then all of a sudden we, we lose power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so we were talking about um, where, where to go next. And, and I think that I had an interview with a woman for another podcast I'm on and you know, she, one thing that really resonated with me that she said is that this is a marathon, not a sprint, right? Slow our rolls, take a breath, you know, take care of yourself, take care of your family, do the work and be prepared to do this, not just this week, next week and the week before and the week after, be prepared to do this for life. And, and that, that actually you know what? I will admit that gave me some relief because I felt like, oh, okay, because then that's going to give opportunity for these next generation, this next generation to really be able to step into something that has been an ongoing process. That has been an ongoing process and done with intentionality. Yes. Right. Cause like we've done this, this, this first 600 years or so, you know, like, like on accident. Now it's like, and the, and the founding fathers expected that we'd have to write the constitution again after 200 years, right? They knew that it was only going to be good for the first 200, you know, and we've gotten, I think some extra mileage out of it. It's time for a review, you know? And then also know too, that, um, on the, on that topic of self-care and taking a breath and stuff, um, Systemic racism is, in fact, that. It is systemic. It's in our education systems. It's in our medical systems. It's in our government systems. It's in our law enforcement systems. Pick a system that you feel comfortable with 
and address it. If you are a doctor, right? Or if you're a cafeteria worker, right? Like in a, in a medical situation, in a hospital, if this is where your passion lies, if you say, okay, I want to address systemic inequalities in, in medicine, you know, go for it. Right. But there, yeah. there's a, you know, there's a place for you in this fight. Um, yeah. Just pick it and stay in that pocket, you know, and let's say you're an environmentalist, you're passionate about the environment. Well, there are food deserts, right? Like there is a way to incorporate making equality happen within the realm of the, of the fight you're already fighting, you know? Mm. Yeah. I like that. And I think that that's a great note for us to finish on is to just, I, I like what you've said is pick a place and, and, and stick with it and know that there is a place for everybody to do their work. It's like, was that you that said to me when we first talked that there's like every, we need all these pedestals. Everybody is at their own pedestal. It's if we all like go into one area, it's going to be like tilted. So it's, there's all different areas. There's room for everybody to do this work in their own way. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Summer, tell people where they can find you. I'm going to put all of everything we've talked about, by the way, we'll go into the show notes, like links. I've made some notes. We'll put that in the links, but where can people find you? Uh, summernettles.com. Pretty easy. Okay. <laughs> Any social media handles? Um, Summer Nettles on Facebook and uh, S-U, or SMR1312, so SMR1312, which is summer, and then 1312 is Chicago's area code, um, because that's my hometown, on Instagram, uh, and then Summer Nettles on Twitter. Great. I will link all of those in the show notes for people to come in and find you. And I appreciate you so much, my friend. I appreciate appreciate you. I'm glad to have you here. And I think that there's lots we could talk about. So hopefully we will be able to do this again soon. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. And if you are ready to level up your company's innovation, communication, and productivity, don't forget to visit juliehalunga.com to find out how she can help you and your team grow more effectively. We hope you enjoyed the show. Hi, my name is Les Conley, and as producer of this show, I enjoy listening right along with you. Don't forget to download the Himalaya app and follow Grit and Grace so that we can keep you up to date on all the exciting shows coming your way. Please check the show notes for links to our guests and feel free to contact us for more information. Taver Lee is a social impact entrepreneur, and she can be found at taverlee.com. That's T-A-H-V-E-R-L-E-E.com. We know your time is extremely valuable and we appreciate you spending it with us. Thank you.